you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, you can turn to Malachi chapter 2. Malachi chapter 2 is where we will be this morning. And in this text, we will see that the most important relationship we have is our relationship with the Lord. Do you believe that? The most important relationship of your life is the relationship you have with our creator. That's the testimony of scripture. In fact, the Bible tells us that the health of our relationship with God will influence the health of every other relationship we have in our life. Our, our heavenly relationship speaks to our earthly relationships. The vertical influences the horizontal. Think about the testimony of Genesis chapter 3 which is the account of the fall of man and how it affirms this truth that our relationship with God affects every other relationship. Prior to the fall in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve were living in paradise, right? Literally and metaphorically. They are enjoying their unique relationship with God. They're walking and talking with him. They're enjoying their unique relationship with each other that's rooted in their relationship with him. And then comes that serpent that nasty old serpent. And the serpent makes Adam and Eve question what they believe about God. They question what God has said to them and why he would say it given the, the command about the tree. And as a result of falling to temptation, as a result of losing their view of who God is, his goodness and, and all the blessing that he had shown them in the garden, as a result of falling to temptation, their relationships are affected. Certainly their relationship with God is affected, but then also their relationship with one another. When God shows back up, walking in the garden, they hide. So he calls out to them, they hide, they try to cover their shame. And then when he begins to question them, they try to blame each other for their own faithlessness. They blame each other for their transgressions against the Lord. Their lack of faithfulness to God leads to a lack of faithfulness to one another. One relationship necessarily affects the other. And this reality holds up over the course of the whole of the Old Testament. When God's people, when they lose sight of him, when they lose sight of his goodness and they forsake him and his covenant, there are significant consequences, repercussions that affect the whole of society. And this makes sense. A right view of God leads to a right view of everything else, including our relationships. But when we have a flawed view of God, it will lead to a flawed view of everything else. The people of Malachi, the people of God during the time Malachi is prophesying, it's clear they were not relating to their God well, that they had a flawed view of him that was showing up in their worship. We saw that in the last couple of weeks. They were neglecting their covenant relationship with God by engaging in careless worship, by offering offensive offerings and sacrifices. And as this morning we turn our attention to Malachi chapter 2, we see the effects of this relational neglect the relational neglect they had with God carrying over into the whole of their society, wreaking havoc specifically in the family, in marriages, and the way their kids were being brought up. And it leads to a call. 
It leads to, to God sending Malachi to this people to call them to return to faithfulness, to help them remember this main idea of our text, that the health of our relationship with God will determine the health of every other relationship. The health of your relationship with God will determine the health of every other relationship. And if you allow that relationship with God to continue to degrade, it will affect every other relationship in your life. You know, one of the, the common refrains of the Christmas season is, let there be peace on earth and what? Goodwill toward men. I hope you'll see today that there will not be peace on earth and there will not be goodwill toward men until all of us get our relationship with God right first. And then it's amazing what happens when we're walking right with God, how the, the blessing and benefit of walking in faithfulness to God will have positive effects on everything that happens around us upon the earth. Malachi chapter two, verses 10 to 16. Here's what the word of God says. Have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah's been faithless. Abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem, for Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and he's married the daughter of a foreign God. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And the second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Well, because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one? with a portion of the, the spirit in their union? And, and what was the one God seeking from that union in marriage? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife, but divorces her, says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless, faithless. If there's one word that should jump out to us from this passage, as we read this passage, it's the word faithless. It's found by my count five times in just these seven verses. And anytime God repeats something that often in a short amount of time, he wants you to take notice. Because the word faithless is a good description of God's people at this moment in history. They've been faithless toward God. And now that primary faithlessness toward God is leading them to be faithless to one another. And it's threatening the whole, the very foundation of their God-honoring or appointed designed to be God-honoring society. You see, the people of God were called out from among the other nations, set apart to be different to live in such a way that it would offer a testimony to the unique greatness of the one true God, the God who had revealed himself to Israel. As God's people, the nations around them were to look at them, the way they lived, the set-apart way they lived, and the blessing that God rained down upon them, and through their faithfulness be drawn to the faithfulness of God. 
because their God is a faithful God. Our God is a faithful God, isn't he? Think about how God reminds his people through Malachi of his faithfulness right in this passage, beginning in verse 10. He says, Malachi says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that God is their father. He's a faithful father. Think about people of God over the whole testimony of the Old Testament, how often God has shown himself faithful as a father. He has blessed you. He has cared for you. He has provided for you, even after you complained, after he rescued you from Egypt and you had to wander around the wilderness for years. He provided for you. He gave you a land of promise. He delivered it to you miraculously. Even when you were disobedient, he, he evidenced his loving kindness toward you and gave you opportunities to repent. Even in your exile, he was faithful to you and he has been faithful to his promise to bring you home. He wants as your father what is best for you. There are so many witnesses, people of God, to the faithfulness of God as your father. Would you remember them? He's also their creator, Malachi says. We have one father, one God who created us. They would not be alive. They would not exist apart from God's desire to have them exist and his power to speak, to form and breathe life into them. They would not be a people. They would not be a nation if God had not looked down upon them in mercy and love and called them out, assembled them together, and brought them to himself in covenant. And that's another important feature, facet of God's faithfulness is covenant, which is another word that's mentioned often in our passage today. Let's spend a moment talking about covenant because it's an important Old Testament theme that we don't often talk about, but clearly evidences, it's meant to evidence the continued faithfulness of God to himself and his promise. Covenant's a major theme for Malachi. Covenants are the formal promises of God. The formal promises of God that are both spoken and written. And they form and define the relationship between God and his people. They set forth the guidelines that establish a relationship where there was no relationship before. And they offer guarantees for the faithfulness of God. God has attached himself to this people graciously in covenant. And he has set the terms for his favor and blessing to be upon them as they bear his holy name. And as their king, as their ruler, as their God, the people of Israel have a responsibility to honor him by living under his rule in such a way that it brings him glory and honor and praise. It's more than a mere agreement. It's more than a contract. This covenant is a binding declaration sealed by the very character of God. And he's proven himself faithful to the covenant over and over again as a faithful father and as their creation. The conditions of the covenant were that God would continue to bless his people, show them favor so long as they lived in accordance with the guidelines that he set forth in the covenant. And they lived in this set apart way. He would be their God and they would be his people. And surely here at the end of the Old Testament, 
Surely here in the book of Malachi, after all the evidences of God's faithfulness as father and creator, they would be living. The least they could do was live in a faithful, God-honoring way. And even when they fail, not, not abiding by the law and the covenant, to come with him, to come to him in repentance and gratitude that the Lord had made provision for their sin to be covered and their relationship to be restored. But unfortunately, the people of God were not faithful. They were faithless. And Malachi tells them explicitly how they are walking in faithlessness. He calls to their attention some actions that transgress the covenant that they must repent of. And the first evidence of their faithfulness is that they are marrying idolatrous women. We see this in verses 11 and 12. Judah has been faithless. An abomination has been committed in Israel and Judah and Jerusalem for Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves by marrying the daughter of a foreign God. Marrying foreign idolatrous wives and and the process profaning the sanctuary of God. What's the issue here? Why is God concerned? Why is he agreed? Why is, why is it an abomination that the people of God, these men are marrying foreign idolatrous women? Now, I wanna be sure we understand the nature of the rebuke. So let's begin by what, saying what this is not. This is not a racist command. I wanna be very clear here. God is not saying that you should not or cannot marry someone because they look different than you or come from a different ethnic background. This verse has been used throughout the years to justify some very racist ideologies and nothing could be further from the heart of God who created all men and women in his image. Let's be very clear about that. That's not what God is saying here. And the story of Ruth proves that that kind of racist ideology has no place among the people of God because Ruth was a Moabitess, a foreigner, and there was no issue with her marrying a Jew because she had renounced the false gods of her people and turned to the one true God of Israel. So the issue here is not an ethnic issue. The issue here is holiness. The issue is about religious purity. It's not that these women were foreign but that they were idolaters, that they had different spiritual fathers and were worshiping false gods. And these marriages inherently had a risk of turning the hearts of these men and the hearts of God's people away from him to gods who do not exist, who are not real, but are constructions of human hands, who cannot act in their interest or hear their prayers when they call to him. There's provision for foreign people to become part of the people of God. But that's not what's happening here. Those people must renounce their gods and, and worship the one true God of Israel. But these women were not doing that. And the marriages revealed that the men, not concerned about that, were consumed by the very wrong things. They were pursuing women because of their looks, because of their exoticness or their differences, never even considering the threat it posed to the testimony they were called to give to God or their own holiness. Idolatry is what got them into this mess in the first place. Idolatry is why they were in exile, worshiping false gods, 
turning to other nations to protect them when it was God who had said it was his responsibility to protect his people. And yet they learned nothing. They're playing with fire again, just like Solomon. They didn't learn from someone who's supposed to be the wisest man who ever lived. And yet in spite of being the wisest man that ever lived, he did some dumb, dumb things. He married women that God told him not to marry. And as a result, his heart was turned away from the Lord as well. And these people, they're not learning from the mistakes of their past. They are continuing to walk in faithlessness, disregarding their personal, corporate holiness, their responsibility to testify to the unique greatness of God. And that's not the end. It actually gets worse. Because not only are they marrying idolatrous women, it seems they are also divorcing godly wives to marry these foreign women. Verses 13 to 15. To make matters worse, some of these Jewish men are discarding faithful wives in order to marry these foreign women, worshiping other gods around them. I'm sure there are many reasons why divorce happened in this time, just like there are today, but Malachi wants to make sure that he addresses this one in particular. These men were discarding the wife of their youth. They were discarding their companion, their wife by covenant, verse 14, in order to marry someone outside of the covenant promises of God. And think about why this matters. And relation to that discussion we had earlier about the nature of covenant. Think about what this action of divorce says about the covenant of marriage and the greater covenant that God made with his people because marriage is a covenant. It is a, a binding promise between a man and a woman that is meant to be a reflection of a greater covenant, the covenant that God has made with his people. And God says, I was a witness to your covenant for the sake of my covenant. I was a witness to you. I put my name upon you and this marriage. And you have so little regard for my namesake. You have so little regard for the conditions of my blessing and relationship that you would throw aside something that I have brought together. Your lack of regard for being faithful has resulted in you being unfaithful to each other. And there are significant consequences that will come. Thirdly, there's a warning here of, of raising up ungodly offspring. Another evidence of faithlessness is that because they are treating their marriages and their relationship with God so recklessly, there's a potential here of raising up ungodly offspring. Verse 15, these fathers are showing a blatant disregard for, the, disregard for the things of God. And that's not going to translate just societally. It will also translate generationally. It's happened before in the Bible when a generation of people were raised up that did not know the Lord because their parents, their, their elders, their fathers, their mothers did not teach them about the faithfulness of God. And these fathers, forsaking their wives, forsaking their God, are now creating a potential conflict for their children. Specifically, if they're, they're born in this new relationship of unfaithfulness, there's at least a risk of the devotion, the loyalty of the heart of their children being torn. Who do we worship? Do we worship mom's God or do we worship dad's God? Which temple do we go to and offer sacrifices to? 
the God of Israel or the God of my other parents' people? Do I do both or do I just do one? Listen, the family, according to the testimony of Malachi, right here in Malachi chapter two, the family was designed to have children and raise up godly children, children who fear the Lord. The family was designed to promote godliness, not destroy it. And yet these fathers and their carelessness are threatening the very foundation of God's design for the family. And then on top of all that, they are also continuing to offer up offensive sacrifices in verses 13 and 16. In the midst of their faithlessness, they are still offering impure sacrifices to cover their impurity. And that's not gonna do anything. It's not gonna help them. They're continuing in sin, hoping that God's grace may abound. But that's not how this relationship is supposed to work. They cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning. They cover the Lord's altar with blood. But because of the insincerity of their heart revealed in their actions, all they are doing is covering their own garments with violence. God hates their actions. He hates their sinfulness, their disregard for his name or his covenant. And there doesn't even seem to be an ounce of repentance in the sacrifice they're offering. What a sad picture of the people of God here. These men that Malachi is speaking to are so faithless, so blinded by the seriousness of their sin. They're treating as common what's supposed to be holy because they don't have a healthy fear or reverence for the Lord. Now, certainly this is a result of the failure of the priests that we saw last week, but it's also because of their own sin. They treat marriage carelessly. They treat worship carelessly. They treat their God carelessly, and it affects everything in their life. And so God says to them, if you don't repent, I'm gonna cut you off. Repent and Guard yourself, guard yourselves in your spirit so that you don't continue in faithlessness. I hope we're seeing clearly how our relationship with God affects everything else. If we have an unhealthy relationship with God, it will lead to unhealthy relationships in the whole of our lives. Faithlessness to God will lead to faithlessness with each other because our relationship with God is foundational. Now, how does this speak to us today? I hope as the people of God, we are, we're recognizing the importance of this primary relationship, but let's think through how the faithlessness of God's people in Malachi 2 can be an encouragement to us to walk in faithfulness. And so I wanna just speak to three relational realities that are present here in our text that I think will call us and help us as God's people to walk in greater faithfulness. Three relational realities. Here's the first. God has called us as his people into a covenant relationship, but it's a covenant relationship based upon the gospel. This is an important distinction for us today. God has called us to himself in covenant and he has set up the parameters of our relationship with him as his newly formed people in the same way he did then. It's different now, but here's the difference. The good news is that the condition of this covenant, the condition of our, our, 
our place as the people of God is no longer tied to our faithfulness. It is rooted and rooted and based in the faithfulness of Christ. That's, a, that's an extraordinary thing, an extraordinary change in difference. That our place as the people of God is not based upon our faithfulness, but is based upon the faithfulness of Jesus. And that's something that we should celebrate certainly in this Christmas season. It's something we should celebrate every season of the year, but certainly at Christmas as we think about what God has done for us in Jesus, as we think about the love with which God has loved us in Christ, who in the midst of our messiness, and that's what the benefit of the Old Testament is. That's what the benefit of Malachi 2 is, is that we see the messiness of God's people. We see the burden of bearing the name of God. It was too weighty for us to handle. These expectations, as they, as they mounted upon us, just revealed the wicked condition of our heart. And it, it was evident there was no way that we could save ourselves. There's no way that we could live in accordance with the law in such a way that it would bring full restoration to our relationship with God. But God did not abandon us. He did not turn faithless when we were faithless. No, he showed himself faithful once again. And here's the evidence, the greatest evidence of his faithfulness, that he sent his son. He sent his son and his son willingly left the glory of heaven, took on flesh to dwell among us, to live the perfect sinless life that we could not live so that, and he took upon the death that we deserve, the wrath of God, so that in his life, in his resurrection life, we could find abundant and eternal life. That's good news. It's good news that it's not our faithfulness that determines our standing before a holy and righteous God. If we are in Christ, if we have repented and believed in Jesus, we step into the faithfulness of Jesus. And that is how our relationship with God the Father is established through and in the Son. May we never get over that. May we never get over that. You know why? Because I'm unfaithful all the time. Not about you, but occasionally I still prove myself faithless. I'm so grateful that I don't have to worry about my standing before a holy and righteous God because I know that I have repented and believed in Jesus. I know that his blood has covered my sin and I know that if I am in the Son, I have the favor of the Father upon me. It's his faithfulness that secures our relationship in the gospel. Now, here's what, that, here's what I also wanna say. While our relationship with God is secure if we are in Christ, we must also work to cultivate that relationship. Now, while it's, it's God's responsibility and action that saves, we also have a deep conviction that in Christ, our primary relationship that we must focus on and think about and enjoy is our relationship with God. And so because of how God has loved us, because of how he has saved us, we should desire to grow in our understanding of what it means to be faithful to him, of knowing him, of walking with him, enjoying him as we were created to. And this takes work. It takes work. It takes intentionality. That's why Malachi says here at the end, guard yourselves and your spirit and do not be faithless. It is, it is in our potential to be faithless. So let's be on guard, church, to walk in faithfulness knowing we can because of the faithfulness of Christ. He has been faithful for us. We can be faithful in him. You have the spirit of God within you to do things that the people of God back then could not do. 
We are transformed people with new hearts. Let's live like it and cultivate our relationship with God. So hear me, we must fight for this. So let's fight. Let's fight church family to be fully satisfied in the Lord, finding only our joy in him. Let's fight for holiness because we want to evidence the blessing of living in a set apart way. We wanna evidence the truth that because God created all things, he knows what's best for all things. And when we walk in holiness and obedience to what God has set forth in his word, there is a unique blessing, a flourishing that happens for us and for everyone else. Let's evidence that as we fight for holiness. Let's fight to remain humble. And not get proud thinking we've earned or deserved anything that God has graciously given to us. Because if we're not careful, in a moment, our testimony can turn from one of faithfulness to faithlessness. And the consequences are significant. So let me ask you, are you cultivating your relationship with the Lord because of what God has done for you in Jesus? Oh, think about this. We have the blessing, the benefit of having the word of God in our language that we can sit before every morning and through the work, the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit, as we read these words inspired by God, the Spirit makes them come alive so that God speaks to us as his people through them. Isn't that remarkable? You can sit before the word and as you pray and as the Spirit's help, you can hear from God. You can have fellowship with him. You can pray with him. And listen, here's what's even greater. As we sit before the mirror of God, God in his grace begins to show us places in our lives that don't line up to the image of Christ, that are faithless. And then we can pray. We can say, God, help me to see places that are faithless in my life through the work of your word. And as you, as you show me those things, help me to have the power and the spirit to remove them. I know that I can because Christ is faithful and help me to replace them by things that honor you. Isn't that a gift? That the Lord would take the, the, the shortcomings of men that are found in scripture and use them as a mirror and the power of the spirit to show us our own shortcomings so that, we can confess them and walk in newness of life. Not condemn us, because we're in Jesus, our, our sins are covered, but by God's grace to convict in a way that allows us to become more and more like Jesus until the day he calls us home. And that's a good thing for us to do, to sit before the word, to pray, to ask God's help, to help us become more like Jesus, because we will never be more honoring to God than the moment we look more like Christ. The more we look like Jesus, the more faithful we are to follow his example, the more we will glorify and honor the Lord. There's no better way to cultivate your relationship with him than to become more like Christ. God has called us into a covenant relationship with him rooted in Jesus. But we've got to make sure that we cultivate it for our own sake and the sake of our witness as a people. Secondly, reality number two, God has designed every other relationship we have to testify to our primary relationship with him. It's part of the fabric and design of creation. All of our earthly relationships are meant to teach us and others about our primary relationship with God. And the only way that works is if we are in right relationship with God. But then if we're in right relationship with God, every relationship we have, he uses to strengthen us, to help become, 
help us become more like Jesus, but then also to testify to those who do not know him of what it looks like to walk in right relationship under the lordship of Christ. We recognize that how we treat each other, how we relate to each other is meant to say something about the God we serve. And this is hard work to honor the Lord in our relationships because it requires intentionality. It requires gospel awareness. It requires selflessness. And so let me just, there's so many relational implications to this, this one statement. Let me just speak to a few that are directly connected to our text this morning as we think about how to honor the Lord as we live relationally. So let me first speak to our single friends. Any single friends in the room? Some of you may be called to live celibate lives. Some of you, because God has a specific plan for you to go overseas or to do something unique to keep your focus on him, he's gonna call you to be single your whole life. And I, I praise the Lord for that. I, it's a tough calling. I pray the Lord, I pray you would be so close before the Lord, helping to make sure you cultivate your heart in the right way. But if you desire to be married, and this is a lesson you need to hear even young friends, middle school, high school, above. If you desire to be married, be careful who you marry. Be careful who you marry. The Bible is very clear here. It is not good for you to marry someone who does not love the Lord God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, who is not a follower of Jesus. I've had it asked several times, Jared, can I marry someone who does not follow Jesus? You can, but you should not. Because if you do, there is a, a huge opportunity for the enemy to take root in your heart and to turn your heart away from the Lord and toward the things of this world. And so I just wanna ask you, as you think about your, your primary relationship with God, I wanna ask you a question that I, I know it's gonna be hard to wrestle with. I know, I know it, could, it could lead to some, some dark, lonely nights. But let me just ask you this question. Do you believe, do you truly believe that being alone and close to God is better than being in a relationship that takes you away from God? If that's our primary, if that's the one that matters most, then certainly that should be our, our primary focus as we think about who to marry, right? So I just wanna encourage you with that and pray. It is better to be alone and close to the Lord than in a relationship that has the potential to lead you away from the Lord. You gotta believe that because our holiness before God is what matters the most. And I pray if you have desire for marriage, the Lord will bring you a godly spouse. But until that day comes, when you can marry someone with integrity before the Lord that makes you want to become more like Jesus and honor the Lord with your life, wait. Pray. Wait. Married friends. Certainly marriage is on display here in this text. Fight for your marriage. Fight for your marriage. If you are married, you are in a covenant before the Lord that is meant to reflect the covenant that God has made with his people. And God is faithful to his people, isn't he? So let's be faithful to one another. It's a promise that you made before the Lord. Fight. God has evidenced his faithfulness to you in your marriage. You show the evidence of his faithfulness in your marriage. Is there a better place 
honestly, to display the gospel than in a marriage relationship. Because that's when you're close to someone. That's when they see all your flaws. That's where you wound people. And so what, what great testimony we have to our children and to those around us to show grace and forgiveness even when the other one doesn't deserve it. Because that is the heart of the gospel. So you fight for your marriage to be a testimony to the gospel at all times because the Lord will redeem it and use it. He designed it that way, Ephesians chapter five. Parents, would you see your parenting relationship, the purpose of it, which is to raise godly offspring? If God has blessed you with children, your primary responsibility to those kids is to teach them to know and love God. Do you believe that? Not to know and love Carolina basketball, not to know and love Duke basketball or state basketball. All those things are fine. But that is not your primary goal. But isn't it crazy how often we spend more time trying to cultivate a love for a shade of blue or red than a love for God? That's your primary goal. So let's, let's invest in our children. Let's help them to know and love, to hear the faithfulness of God, to love God, love his people, and to love the lost. Let's help them set their eyes on eternity. And is there a better season of the year to do that than Christmas? That's why I'm so excited about Christmas Adventure tonight. Because it's an opportunity for us to say, hey, listen, don't get caught up in the things of this world. Don't set your eyes only on what you can get, the joy you can get here in this world, because it will fade. You set your heart on something better, a greater joy, a greater gift and the person and work of Christ. And then certainly church, we should be faithful to one another. Verse 10, have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why then would we be faithless to one another? As part of the covenant people of God, we should love one another deeply. And while it is true that marriage is a, a wonderful place to display the gospel, certainly the church is a great way, place to display the gospel of loving, encouraging, edifying, building each other up, forgiving, showing grace and mercy, welcoming any who are broken and repentant to come to the feet of the cross. And then finally, let me just say this. The third relational reality, God receives the sincere repentance of those who have failed relationally. Let me just say, I know that this text could be a hard text for some who are in here today. Because you look at the failings of the people of God in Malachi's time, and you can identify with them. You see maybe the failings of your past today. Failings in your life. And can I just say to you this morning, I, I want you to rest in the glorious, marvelous grace of God. Because hear me, if you are in Christ there is therefore now no condemnation for you, okay? So do not hear the challenging words of this and let the enemy bring you to a place of condemnation. Now, you may need to be in a place of conviction. That's fine because the Lord will, will bring repentance in your life through conviction, but not condemnation. Because here's the difference. Condemnation 
causes you to hear the, the sins of your past and to stay in them and think there's no way of escaping the guilt and the despair I fear over them, I have over them. I, I don't know if God can forgive that. That's condemnation. No, conviction is, yes, I see that that is not in alignment with God's word. I see that it's not in alignment with walking in faithfulness to God. And so I'm gonna turn to God and his gospel and I'm gonna trust in the fact that he's gonna lavish his grace upon me and I'm gonna sit in that forgiveness giving glory and honor to God. That's what we want, okay? So don't, don't hear this today and think condemnation. You set your eyes on the grace of Jesus and you rest in the forgiveness he brings to anyone who comes to him with repentant hearts, okay? So having said that, let me say this. Some of you may be asking, okay, Jared, I married someone who's not a believer. So what do I do, okay? Well, here's good news. The Bible speaks to your situation. Isn't that incredible that God speaks to these places in our lives where there's confusion? And here's the text that should guide you. It's 1 Corinthians 7, verses 12 to 16. Paul says, to the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce. If any woman has a husband who's an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, he should not divorce or she should not divorce. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of the wife. The unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children should be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. If the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know wife, whether you will save your husband or how do you know husband, whether you will save your wife? So what do you do if you've stepped into a relationship, stepped into a marriage where you're married to someone who's not a believer? You stay and you pray. And you try to be the best example of the gospel that you can be. You love your husband. You love your wife in a way that points them to Jesus. You be a lighthouse for your children. And you hope for the day when your spouse's heart will be turned from their sin to the Lord. Now, if they choose to leave because they don't want to be married to someone who's sold out to Jesus and feel that conviction of the Spirit leading them to a place of repentance, you're free, according to the Scripture. But until that day, you pray and you speak and you live out the gospel. What if I've been divorced, Jared? What if I... I have ended my marriage for an ungodly reason. Listen, there are, there are places in the Bible where there's provision for divorce in cases of adultery or abandonment. But what if I've ended my divorce in a way that is ungodly? Now listen, I know there are many in our church who've experienced the pain of divorce and I cannot speak into the specifics of every situation. But here's what I want you to hear. It is true that God hates divorce because it's a covenant that's meant to be a reflection of a greater covenant. That's true. And if you've never repented of that, your part, if you had a role in that divorce, if you've never repented of that, you need to do that. But I also want you to hear me this morning. The grace of God abounds. And if, if you will come with repentance, this, the reason why God did not receive the, the repentance of his people back then is because they weren't really repentant. They were just trying to, to get, a, get out of jail free card. They weren't sincere in their worship. Listen, if you come with sincerity of heart, and you say, God, I, I messed up. He will receive that repentance and cover you with grace. There's not a sin that we can commit that is bigger than the grace of God. Come.
and repentance and receive that repentance for the glory of God. And if you need to speak with someone or be counseled through a situation you've walked through, we would love to do that with you. So come so we can encourage you with the promises of God, certainly help you feel the conviction of God if needed, but then come to a place of basking in the forgiveness of God. And if you have asked for forgiveness, would you just rest in that today? Again, don't let the the enemy bring condemnation back to a sin that you've already repented of and it's covered. You just rest in the forgiveness of God. And then what about children? If I've, I've raised children that don't fear the Lord, and that's my fault. Like I did something that I didn't lead them to the throne of God. Can I just tell you it's not too late? If you're alive and they're alive, talk to them. Speak to them of the, of the glory of the gospel. Bring them, ask them, at Christmas time around the table, give thanks. Remind them of the greatest gift. Pray for them. Be the light of the gospel today. Who knows how the Lord will redeem? Show them the, the evidence in your own life of how you've changed as a result of the gospel and give them the opportunity to respond because you're still their parent. And you still have the ability to speak into their life. Oh, church, let's be found faithful. Let's be found faithful to God and to each other as a testimony of the faithfulness of God to us in the gospel. Wherever you are, would you bow your heads? Asking the Lord how you can respond this morning. Let me just begin by reminding you that the most important relationship you have is with God. And the only way that relationship can be restored, the only way you can be in right relationship with the Father is if you were in the Son. And the Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. And if your life's a mess, all your relationships are a mess because you recognize today that it's because your relationship with God is a mess and you want to respond in repentance and belief, come. There'll be some pastors and ministers here who would love to encourage you, pray with you. For the rest of us, if we are in Christ, how do our relationships look? Are they evidence of the fact that we are cultivating a right relationship with God? Or is there messiness that's revealing idolatry in our hearts, places that don't align with who Christ has called us to be? Father, would you convict where needed? Lead us to repentance, but also lead us to rejoice and rest in your grace. Help us to be a more faithful people because of our time before your word, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You stand in response, Lord leads. Thank you for joining us this week at Bayleaf. For more information about Bayleaf Baptist Church, visit our website at bayleaf.org.